0: This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I'm delighted to welcome Susan Golden to the show. Susan will talk about the innovation and entrepreneurial opportunities created by the new Longevity and you will rethink everything you thought you knew about people over 60. Susan, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: You know, this topic is so important. So many people think about aging and they they tend to skew to the negatives that, that often come along with it in our culture. But you position aging as an opportunity. So why is that? Tell me more.
1: So too often, people have stereotyped all old, all older people over any age bracket, you want to say 60, 65, 70, as the same. And in fact, that's not true. There's great diversity in older adults, and many um, have many vibrant years ahead of them. People are going to be living much longer. If you live to 65 today in good health, you have more than a 50% chance of living well into your 90s. And children born today can expect to live well into their 100s. And that changes the equation about many things in the perspective, but most significantly, people are going to be living longer, but with greater health span. And that is the goal of what's behind this book, how to create products and services and businesses to support healthy aging going forward and not just think about the frail elderly who are declining And and many people will be in that stage, but that is at a much later stage in life than most people realize.
0: So I want to pull on that thread because if people are living longer, healthier lives, they're working more, presumably, unless they have absolute financial independence and can walk away. But often people want to keep engaging, to keep their, their brains high functioning and doing things they love. So you write about the longevity economy and why we should really be paying attention to it. So tell me more about that.
1: Well, to your point, people are gonna be working longer, not just for financial reasons, although that may well well be true because most people uh, in a 30 year career span can't support a 40 year retirement period. But also from a purpose standpoint, People want to engage, as you said, you know, in meaningful activities, engage in a community. So people may be changing jobs at multiple stages of their life without judgment. I, we're anticipating over the course of a 60 year career span, people can be having five, six different careers without judgment, interspersed with career breaks. That is going to become a very common feature, both for caregiving, but also for rejuvenation and repurposing. Um, and throughout this period, of longer lifespan and health span, people are going to want to invest time in wellness and um, support that, but they're also gonna want to invest time in continuous learning because there's no way your early stage career and education can support a a longer uh, career span. And you will need to go back into um, upskilling opportunities, uh, going back to school. I myself went back to university at Stanford in a special program targeted for people who are older adults um, to relaunch new careers. And that's going to become increasingly more common and very exciting. I mean, very exciting new opportunities around education.
0: I agree with you, and it's it's really going to transform how we look at the world of work. And you talk about in the book very specifically folks that are that are involved in the business sector in organizations, but also entrepreneurs. And I'd love to learn more about that because when I, I loved hearing you say, "Yeah, we're taking some in, intentional career breaks, whether it's for wellness or rejuvenation." But the reality is, sometimes life throws us a curveball maybe our own health issues or taking care of elderly parents. So how does one navigate a career break and then get back in?
1: Well, for the longest time, that was very difficult, but there are now new companies helping people relaunch careers that come back for retooling. And then they have returnships now in many companies, uh, paid 16-week internships, basically, Where at the end of it, you decide if you're interested in staying longer with the company as the uh, company is, but they are upskilling you during that period as well. Because if you took a career break for caregiving, which is quite common uh, for women and for men increasingly, um, to take care of children or an older uh, parent, or both, which is more common, um, upskilling will become very important and continuous learning. So these are great opportunities for companies like Reboot Excel, iRelaunch. Um, there is encore dot org, and um, these new programs that are at universities. Um, the one that I did was a year long fellowship to reboot your career and rethink what you want to do in these next stages of life.
0: That's exciting. Do you see? Is there is there any research that you've done, or just are you starting to see trends that? individuals in their 60s, their their work habits may be different, their their intentionality may be different. Maybe they don't want that high intensity career where they're working well over 40 hours a week. Maybe they do. I don't want to assume. Are, are there any trends that are starting?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of good research showing that Older adults are, in fact, more productive because they bring a certain amount of um, historical knowledge, wisdom to, to from a company. And it is true they might want more flexibility, but younger people want more flexibility now, too. We've seen that. They want to work from home. They want you know, different uh, time frames around it. So um, flexibility is going to become, I think, common across all age groups. But older adults may not, as you said, want to work this 40 to 80 hour work week, but they may still want to work a fair amount of time and contribute. And they may work in a company they've been part of or in a different company. But I think we're going to see people working longer. And basically changing the word from uh, retirement is going to go out of the vocabulary. It'll go into transitioning or repurposing. Um, because even if you have enough savings to support what you think is a, a, a longer retirement, people need community and yep. people are going to be looking for purpose. And there's a ton of research on that. Um, to support that. And those are probably the two most important ingredients to healthy aging going forward is having purpose and having a community.
0: Yeah, that connection is incredibly important and and ties directly to our our well-being. You you know, you mentioned flexibility and I'm a Gen Xer in my 50s. And I have to say, I am so deeply grateful for the younger generations, the Gen Y, our millennials, and now our Gen Zs because they've normalized flexibility. When I was starting to work, my my role models were baby boomers and nobody talked about flexibility. It was kind of a red flag. You didn't raise that. But I'm delighted to hear that some of our um, 60 plus professionals now are embracing that because I think it can be a really healthy dynamic.
1: Yeah. And the fact that so many people during the pandemic had to go to remote working That's become the norm now. I mean, it's going to be a hybrid work, you know, work environment, both remote in person. And that type of flexibility supports all age groups as well that's true
0: it was a, it was an 18 month plus case study in in how to yeah. uh, to work remotely absolutely so it it's important for me to ask this question what about ageism as a career coach I work with some older individuals in their 50s who are experiencing ageism by some less than enlightened organizations that think that that talent pool is is not viable or valuable and, and I disagree completely but how does the older worker Navigate that.
1: Yeah, ageism is real. There's just no doubt about it. And at the core of it is the stereotypical assumption that when people turn 65, they become dependent on others for financial assistance and direct care and grow frail and sickly and end up in residential care. That is the stereotype. That is not the reality. And um, ageism can be as young in Silicon Valley. It's been noted that, you know, at 40, sometimes people um, feel ageism, that the key to to defying ageism is um, promoting all the positives of what an older adult can bring. And to think about that yourself as an older adult, you may not know the latest tech, but you can learn it. Um, you can learn it maybe differently than, than a 25-year-old who's you know, engaged in it daily and you're not doing it quite as often. But that's where some of the stereotype is coming from, that people are not as current, particularly on tech platforms and things like that. But they bring a certain level of insight and um, hist- uh, historical knowledge and maturity. And it's been shown through research that mixed-age uh, teams are more productive than um, just younger teams
0: i'm I'm so glad to hear that I was going to ask these multi generational diversity of thought perspectives are incredibly valuable. you know we d- diversity equity, inclusion, belonging is hot right now and and as it should be, but I think multi generational diversity is equally important
1: age diversity has not entered that equation and but I think it should. And, and we know that older adults um, can bring a perspective. If you're developing products and services for older adults, surely you're going to want somebody who's older on your team who can bring that perspective to design with, not for. Um, so more companies should be thinking about having a age diversity in their companies because it will help them. It will help them grow.
0: Agreed. Susan, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs send me an email at caroline at CarolineDoubtHiggins.com. So I'm delighted that we're beginning to reframe the conversation around the value of older adults. But how how do we move that needle? What kind of language should we be using? I'm sure there are some outdated things that we can address more appropriately. What are your thoughts there?
1: We don't have enough vocabulary yet for these new stages of life that people are entering and for older adults. I personally um, do not like the term senior and elderly um, for everybody over 60 or 65. I think it, it stereotypes or and makes everybody s- seem like they're the same. There's a range of, of uh, stages that people go through. And as they get older, and I think of them as the repurposing stage, they're relaunching stage, they're resetting their priorities, um, they're in transition, they may have a portfolio career, not just one job, but a a mix of things. And related to that is what do we call them? And I think just retiring the term senior and elderly would be helpful. And rather, you know, use a, a term like older adults, but come up with new terms. And I use uh, one for this stage of life that I've made up, but I, I think we need better vocabulary. I call it a furtherhood. We're just going further into multiple stages. There's not just one next act after you're 65. There might be many next acts for somebody in next stages.
0: Furtherhood. That's lovely. I, I applaud that. That's fantastic. I couldn't agree more. And interestingly, uh, this, this relates to me on a very personal level because my husband is 20 years older than I am. And he is officially retired from his first career, but still actively doing other things. And that purpose, that meaning, that connection, that community is what uh, keeps him healthy and well and engaged and stimulated. So I'm seeing it in my own family. That's great. And, you know, we
1: saw it during the pandemic. Anthony Fauci, who's now, you know, in his 80s, contributed so much and is as vibrant as any 40-year-old I know. And that's true of many people who uh, physicians and nurses who were in retirement came back to help um, during the pandemic and contributed so much. And and we see that in all professions now that people have so much to offer. Um, So they should not be considered, you know, they're in their retirement years, meaning they're not productive and they're not contributing. That kind of language does need to
0: change. Yes, yes, I agree. So Susan, we'll certainly get into this uh, when when one reads the book. But you talk about five quarters a five quarters framework so for those who have not yet read the book can you set us up and help us tease out what that looks like
1: sure traditionally people thought of life in a three three segment uh three segments education you know learn earn and retire basically um or you know learning work and retirement and when we think of it a hundred year life, we have to think about many more stages, not just three. And I came up with this concept and it's funky math, the five quarter life, whereas the first quarter is when you're starting out, you're growing, your your early years of education, you're experimenting. It's sort of your first launch. And then you're in your next stage of life, I call the growing stage where people are continuous learners because already they need to be adding to their portfolio of, of learning and uh, skills and tools. They're developing financial security. They may be in their parenting family stage. They may be in a significant caregiving role, as we talked about. And they're also probably optimizing their health. And then the next stage I consider renaissance. And that's somewhere between, if you want to use age brackets, 55 to 85, a pretty broad range. But that's the stage I'm in and many people I know where they're repurposing and relaunching and rethink what what they do and now have a portfolio. And some of the the happiest years of life have been documented to be when people are in their 60s and 70s, as they know themselves better and are clear what they want. And then in the fourth stage of life, when, when maybe some um, health ailments are begin, beginning to enter. I think of that as sort of like your legacy years. You know, what do you what do you want to uh, provide uh, and support uh, as as your life legacy? And then what I call Q five, which is your fifth quarter. That's extra. Anything over a hundred. We don't know how long people will be able to live beyond one hundred yet, with you know good health span and lifespan. But we're seeing a lot of it. You know, it's not un- uncommon now to see somebody turn one hundred um if you go into a card store the the section with 90 year old and 100 year old uh, gift cards are often sold out um so we're wow. we're in, in a new period and we need to be thinking how to keep people vibrant and engaged and not segregated from society <laughs>
0: Did you see, or in your research as you were writing the book and and continue to research, is there resistance from any particular generation? You know, I'm thinking of, I don't know this to be true, but I'm thinking anecdotally of some of the younger professionals who are new in leadership roles, who may not have had experience working with multiple generations. Are are they uh, open to this? And I realize that's a broad brush question, but is there reticence?
1: I mean, I think there's some reticence in the sense that people want to make room for the next generation to come into, you know, certain kind of professional service firms, but you can uh, repurpose those, those distinguished o- older adults in your firm to do, to do other roles other than maybe the one that they had been, but still contribute uh, enormously. And what we're seeing, uh, which is very encouraging, is the concept of reverse mentoring. There's mentoring yeah. from, you know, the older worker to the younger and the younger to the older. And, I find that even in the university setting that I'm in, I learn as much from the students that hopefully they learn from me. Um, It's so vibrant and it's so dynamic. And I think the more that there's a five-generation workforce, which is where we're headed, it will become the norm that you're going to learn from each other and how how exciting and vibrant that will be.
0: I agree. You quantified something in the book, which really took my breath away. You said longevity presents an opportunity for companies to develop a strategy. And you're estimating that the global market for this demographic is 22 trillion across every industry. That was pretty powerful. Tell me more about that. It
1: is. And that's been documented by many groups. Uh, that's not my original research. That comes from uh, s- several important groups. Uh, Oxford Economics, AARP has done that. Um, the UN uh, Healthy Aging Initiative. So $22 trillion market, in part it's because older adults control over 83% of the wealth. So they're buying the products and services that they need, or they may be buying them for their children or grandchildren, but they are very much um, controlling where the money is being spent. And there is a need for all sorts of new products and services to help people age successfully. So it could be a range from home modifications, as people increasingly want to age in place, to new ways of traveling, entertainment, fashion to support um, the older consumer. And most people just don't understand the older consumer. As I said earlier, they tend to put them in one bucket, everybody's the same. And there's great diversity and heterogeneity among older adults, which is only to be discovered. That opportunity in the United States is considered to be over $8.6 trillion alone. Wow. So it's a missed market opportunity for almost every business that hasn't thought about it. But there are some that have done very well recently in rethinking their longevity strategy and their and who is their longevity customer for their company.
0: W- would you give an example?
1: Sure. Um one is a financial services, many financial services firms early on caught on that people weren't saving enough and, and be, if they're going to have a longer life. So Merrill Lynch, as an example, um, has done a whole revamping of their wealth management strategy, have trained all their wealth managers in how to prepare people as, as early as their 20s to be thinking about a hundred year life and what should there be their financial strategy be. And they hired a financial gerontologist. To um, help them design their products and services for um, all age groups that are come to them, and that's that's a, a fabulous uh, example. Um, another is Warby Parker. Traditionally, we know them as the hipster, you know, brand of of eyeglass wear, but they also discovered that older adults who um, need progressives could be a major source of of uh, revenue and their customer who want the hipster brand of. Eyeglasses—they didn't design a special kind of eyeglass that would help them uh, use progressives. So that was—they have a multi-generational customer base. And Best Buy is another company that's done a fabulous job in um, rethinking their longevity strategy. They originally brought bought a f- phone called Great Call, which would help older adults. And now they have an entire care support center for um, older adults who use their products and services. And they're now getting into more of remote healthcare. So they've changed their strategy as well. Many companies are doing this now, but only those that have really recognized the longevity opportunity. And I see over the next decade, uh, a tremendous growth in this area. And that was the purpose of the book, to help people think about these opportunities.
0: Wow. Well, it, it is a gift to, to all of us, no matter what age we are, Susan. But financial gerontologist, wow, I learned something new. I didn't even know that yeah. that was a thing. That's incredible.
1: I didn't know it either till I interviewed Merrill Lynch yeah. and uh, wrote about that. Well, and what's what's exciting is that more and more people are going to be olderpreneurs or what we're calling sidepreneurs, and particularly women, have this opportunity because they have front row seats to what's needed out there. And I I see a real trend where more and more women are going to be entrepreneurs in this area. That's
0: exciting. It does give me pause thinking of the the financial gerontologist and Merrill Lynch. I'm thrilled that they're also educating young people because my goodness, you've, you've got to start saving for your retirement right out of the gate. And I'm also thinking, you know, th- there have been some hits in our economy uh, with, with recessions, pandemics, so many things. So I, I imagine it's also causing people to think about how they save and how they earn moving forward to live a long and healthier life.
1: Yeah. And some of that savings, um, I encourage people to think about putting aside for lifelong learning. Yes. I mean, you're going to need to be able to go back to school or take courses or go to conferences, but you, you really have to commit to lifelong learning when you're in your 20s, knowing that you have 80 years ahead of you where you're going to want to be productive and engaged. And, and, you know, it's not every year, but you may take, career breaks for learning. And increasingly, companies, I think, are going to be offering a lot more in terms of upskilling for their employees as well. Absolutely. But it it does require some savings.
0: That's true. That's true. And those short term credentials, experiences are really uh, becoming more, more Prevalent, So that's good to hear. Susan, as, as we wrap, are there things that you really want us to think about, steps we all need to take today moving forward to think about how we, we honor this 60 plus demographic in the workforce and, and also think about changing, um, changing the landscape to be more welcoming to uh, seasoned talent, if you will?
1: Well, I, I think treating everybody with respect and dignity at, at any age, but particularly older adults, um, not not uh, stereotyping them, not assuming what they can and can't do. I, I just would think of everybody could have the mindset that these everybody has something to contribute, and that would that framework will change a lot. And older adults should think about themselves in that way. That's one. Um, I think we're going to need. Uh, support though on policy levels to support family leave and caregiving. Um, and we have to we do have to think about who's going to pay for all of the care that people are going to need at some point they don't always need it you know the minute they turn 65, but at some we are in their progression they may. So that's something to be thinking about as well. Um, and we need to, as you brought up earlier, redesign media and advertising when addressing the longevity market, so that it doesn't stereotype all older adults as frail and elderly. That will change the conversation a lot um, if we show a range of older adults, not just one type.
0: Susan Golden, I learned so much from you today. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. It was such a pleasure. I want to tell our global audience the title of your book. It's called Stage, Not Age, How to Understand and Serve People Over 60, The Fastest-Growing, Most Dynamic Market in the World. And the book is available widely on Amazon and all major book retailers. And Susan, your website is stagenotage.com. Is that correct? That's correct. Thank you. Susan, what a joy to have you on the show. I wish you continued success. And I really thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this will help new listeners find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at CDowdHiggins. And finally, a special thanks to my awesome podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.